You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 159. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits Podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. And as always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here for the next 30 or 40 minutes or so. And we're going to step outside the normal college success habits routine. I used to bring on guests pre-COVID and that sort of floundered away because of, you know, COVID. Um, And so what we're going to do moving towards the end of this year and in the beginning of next year is we're going to start bringing on some guests that I believe have information outside of my purview, where they can bring in their expertise to help you. And I have found someone who specializes, uh, is a leading voice in the world of finances for college, scholarships, resumes, how you can actually go off and get a job, you know, with that forty, eighty thousand dollars worth of debt you just took on. Wouldn't you like a job that can help you pay that off? So what I've done is I found someone who can specifically address scholarships and college finances as well as the resume building process. I know for a lot of you, you've been going to your success centers at your colleges, regardless of whether you're a freshman or all the way up to a senior, obviously, you should be caring about your resume. It's never too early to be paying attention to how you document the things that you've accomplished in high school and the things that you are accomplishing in college because future employers are going to want to know about that stuff. We talked about it in my book the seven uh, powerful principles to excel in college and beyond that I would be much more apt to hire a college student who actually projected those seven principles over someone who just resume stuffed. Cause I want to see someone in front of me with a growth mindset who knows how to, you know, cultivate courage, be decisive, take action, exercise flexibility, um, you know, display discipline and obviously exude this a level of tenaciousness. So Denise, Thomas is going to be our guest today. And I've got an amazing biography. You got to know more about her before you hear her voice. She's a TEDx speaker. She's an international best-selling author. She's a coach to parents of college-bound teens. She inspires, educates, and equips parents to take an active role in supporting their children to live a life of financial freedom. So if you are a college student, you might want to have them listen your parents listen to this episode. Using our Cracking the Code to Free College strategy, again, Cracking the Code to Free College, if that doesn't elicit a certain emotion in you, I don't know what will. Her mission is to flip the student debt statistic in the United States. And obviously, for those of you who are international, um, this is going to work for you as well. You just need to simply figure out what your, you know, your rules are there within your country. Denise attended college on a Pell Grant for low-income families. And while in college, she worked three jobs and still had to lift food from the college cafeteria to eat on the weekends. Oh, do I remember those days. She didn't want her kids to struggle like that. So Denise homeschooled her two children from pre-K through high school, which in and of itself is... It's above and beyond any parent's duty. After a devastating bankruptcy and liquidation, Denise had to create a way for her two homeschooled children to pay for college and gain acceptance as homeschooled students. 7,000 hours of research resulted in Denise's proprietary, repeatable strategy. Her teens attended their first college, their first choice college, which I know for a lot of you is a really, really big deal if you're my high school crowd. Um, They had 17 scholarships exceeding $199,000. That might sound like a remarkable number to you all, and it should, because that is a lot of money. Walking out of college with cash in hand, which is not something most college students will do. Denise says you can keep your money. College doesn't have to be a debt, D-E-B-T, debt sentence. Without any further ado, Denise, welcome to the show. Hey, Jesse, I'm so excited to be here and share some of this uh, wisdom and knowledge to your audience. It's it's a pleasure and I'm really excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. When I, when Yvonne introduced us, um, you know, normally I, I get people to come on uh, both podcasts and, and generally it's more mental health and it's it's sort of understanding how you're growing and adapting through college. And then when I had a chance to talk to you, I realized 
something I was actually, I was reminded something I had already realized that finances in college bring on a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety. And this can start to affect your grades, relationships with your friends, your family. You can take on, I had at one point, I was taking on two, three jobs at a time to afford things. Uh, when you look back on how your kids were able to maneuver their way through school, knowing that so much of it was already being taken care of because of the scholarships and the work that they did. How do you see their experience of college being different from other students who do not have the assistance of scholarships, which by the way, are not easy to get, but they are worth the effort. Oh, absolutely. And and thank you for asking that. Most people don't ask what my kids' results were. I mean, yeah, sure. You get the bottom line. They got the money. That's cool. But the truth is, today, when young adults are attending college, it's not until usually junior year of college, that third year or so, when they realize that the mounting debt is going to get out of control. Because let's face it, young adults, kids, teenagers don't really understand money. They don't understand finances. They 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 just they have no idea. They grew up in a house that was paid for, or or their parents were paying the mortgage. They had a nice car. Their parents were driving around. They had food on the table. They were not paying those bills. Their parents had that stress. But there's a point in time in college when the seventy percent of college students who have debt suddenly realize, oh crap how am I going to find money again for next semester? That's another 20, 30, 40, $70,000 a year. This is going to get out of control. My job is not going to cover this. Now what? And that's why we have a rather disturbing number of college students that drop out. So now they've got the debt and not the degree to help pay for it. It's really a pretty sad situation. It is sad. You know, when you were telling that story just now, it reminded me. So I, I was I went to college for 12 years and I'm not a doctor. And that's a big joke I like to use on stage. And ultimately it was alcohol and drugs that sent me askew. And by the time I got to the University of Florida, uh, I was only sort of half-assed paying attention to school. And after my first two years there of working a lot at the restaurant, not getting out till two in the morning, drinking myself away, I decided to quit the jobs. And my girlfriend at the time got me to go off and get uh, student loans. And it was amazing. All of a sudden, $6,000 is showing up at the beginning of every semester. My classes, my books, everything's taken care of. And it was a blast. And I had to live on a bit of a budget. But I all of a sudden, I had time to actually attend school. And because I wasn't going to work at a restaurant, it didn't mean I wasn't getting out at two, I wasn't going straight to the bar or home and and partying. And my grades actually did amazing work. I was thrilled with my success. It, It literally changed everything. I'm still paying off on those loans. And, you know, I left school, it was 30,000 because of a series of miscues in my thirties. When I first got out of school, I didn't make any payments. It actually destroyed my credit for seven years because I let one freaking bill relapse and it was it. I was destroyed. Uh, It took seven years to fix that, you know, 540 credit score for years. Now it's, you know, much better credit score wise, but I'm 40,000 in debt. I've actually gone up 10,000 because of the interest on that. And I look back and I'm like, did I really need to tank out those loans? Was that really the best idea? Or could I have just buckled down, worked harder and not gone to the bar afterwards? Like what choices did I make incorrectly then that I would love more of students to understand now? Having just heard that story and having never heard it before, what is it what is it you heard? What is it that other students in college might be going through right now? And I don't want them to wake up at 46 with 40 G's in debt to the US government whenever it was started off as 30. Oh, I agree 100%. I I actually have friends who are in their 40s, can't afford to buy a house because of their student loan debt to, to this day. And now that they're in their 40s, their kids are about to start college. And yet there are people who can't afford to have kids. That's that's They can't start a family. At least that's the way they feel about it because of the student loan debt. And even as a college student, as you mentioned, the stress as a college student of finding the money, of struggling to work, Seeing that debt mount is just abhorrent to me and parents worry as well. But here's the other thing that I think most people, well, you know, they don't talk about it in the every two years when college debt seems to be a big deal in the media is that there is a certain amount of money, a limited amount of money that a college student can get on their own without a cosigner. 
and that's from the federal loan standpoint. It's about $32,000 today. It goes up eh, slightly each year, but not very much. But that's over the entire course of the entire four years getting your bachelor's degree. That's it. That's your limit. Anything above that, the student needs a cosigner. Guess who gets to cosign? The parents. When parents cosign for that additional, I don't know, $100,000 or more in debt, that debt is 100% the child's and 100% the parents at the same time. It can greatly affect the parents' buying power when they're just getting ready to be, you know, empty nesters and maybe even move into retirement. And yet they're still hanging on to that student loan debt for their kids. And God help you if you've got more than one child. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, so then I go back and I think, should I have gotten the student loans? Should I have looked into scholarships? And so I was, I would say, you know, for that, let's say it is somebody who's like, okay, I'm working too many jobs. I need to figure out a way to do this. Obviously student loans. I mean, at the time it was, it was, there was zero, I don't know what it is like now, but there was zero hurdles in order to get this. I had to fill out some paperwork online. And next thing I know I was getting six G's and it felt like a windfall, which looking back on it, wasn't a lot of money. Uh, I don't know how I made that stretch. So yeah, maybe I shouldn't have gotten the student loans or gotten those and also looked into scholarships. But at the time, you know, my GPA at best was like a two, three, two, five on a good day. If the, if I sneeze on the right way and in, into the wind. So for what about those, those students who say, well, my grades aren't 4.0. I don't have this humongous, awesome resume. What kind of scholarships could possibly be out there for me? That's your, I mean, that's your specialty. You believe that it's never too late, never too early to be thinking scholarship. What would you direct someone you talked to who was like a sophomore and said, okay, three jobs isn't working for me. I need to get some financial help here. I also don't want to leave school 80 G's in debt. Absolutely. Well, as a current college student, you have to understand there's still money out there. Now I'll admit the biggest amount of money and the most private scholarships available is for high school seniors. So if you've missed that boat for whatever reason, and usually the reason is I'm average. I don't have the great GPA. That's the reason for not applying for scholarships. But what most people are not aware of is that the vast majority, and I do like overwhelming majority of privately given scholarships, not attached to your college, don't even ask for GPA or test scores. Anyone can win these scholarships. So as a college student, as a current college student, grad school student, or professional school student, there are scholarships available out there. It's as simple as writing an essay. And we're not talking about 10 pages or 10,000 words. They just want your opinion on a particular topic. It's not as hard as you think. It's interesting that they wouldn't ask for any kinds of GPA or grades or transcripts. It's really just getting an idea of, I guess, the functional thought processes of who might win the scholarship. Well, the truth is, Jesse, they just want to help. And if you think about it, and I, I always think about follow the money. I'm, I'm looking for the reason why. Why do colleges offer scholarships? Why do organizations and companies offer scholarships. They each have their own reason behind it. So if you look at private scholarships given by organizations and corporations, et cetera, number one, they want to help. They understand that it takes money to go to college. So they do want to help. Number two, kind of makes them look pretty good uh, when they're giving out these, this money or when they're uh, advertising that they have a scholarship available it gets their name out. It's quote, free advertising. In addition, that scholarship is tax deductible. Now, if they're only given $1,000, it's not a huge big deal to them, tax deduction or otherwise. The point is, they're just giving out the cash. So they're trying to help students be able to afford their college education. Okay. So now, you know, for the listeners out there, now they're starting, okay, I'm excited. Okay. The idea of a scholarship could be mine. Now they think, 
let's jump on Google and type in college scholarships. What, I mean, I can only imagine the insanity of how many must come back, the list that must uh, show up. Are there websites that um, take all of these scholarships and put them out there and make it super easy? Or is this really just, you know, like, you know, digging for diamonds in the side of a mountain, hoping to find the right place to tap into? How would someone find a scholarship that would, you know, you know, that might be directly towards them, right? One might be about minority groups or for females or someone might be, I don't know. I don't know what the specifications are. How do they find places to locate these scholarships? Well, there's a couple of things to consider, Jesse. First, the the scholarships that you have the best chance of winning are going to be the ones directly from your college or university, both as a high as a high school entering freshman and ones that are given by your department of your college major. So we're not talking about the College of Engineering per se, but the Department of Mechanical Engineering in that College of Engineering. So you want to get very specific. The more specific you are, the better off you are because the fewer competition, right? The fewer applications that are competing with you. Now, if you're a freshman in college, there's going to be fewer available, maybe not too many, even at a large university. But these scholarships are coming from two places. They're coming from alumni to that college. And they're also coming from industry that recruits from that college. Those scholarships will usually have some type of minimum GPA, and it might be a 3.0, or it could be a 2.0 or a 2.5. But they're looking specifically for your grade level in college and your college major. So that's the first place to look is within your own department. Not every college or university offers this opportunity, but those that do, this is your starting point. Same for if you have a, a, a younger sibling, let's say that's a high school freshman, I'm, I'm sorry, high school senior. You wanna be looking for local scholarships because again, you have fewer competition in your local area. So the college is that local area for current college students. Next would be to branch out. And yes, Google is your friend, but you have to know how to do the search. I can't tell you how many parents or students will call and ask, look, Denise, I have looked for scholarships till I'm blue in the face. And all I find is scholarships that do not belong to my demographic, whatever that means. Or maybe they're only for low income students. There's so many out there, it's not even funny. But you have to think about what is it that pertains to you specifically to narrow down that search. Yes, you do want to search for your demographic and for your college major on the internet or even your grade level. Tips for undergrads, college scholarships for college juniors, whatever. And that will help you to narrow down the focus. And then you can go to databases. There are a ton of them out there. There's so many ways to search these databases, but and to be honest with you, Jesse, unless the family or the student has had a little bit of experience, you can get burned. And here's why. I can't, uh, so many parents will say, oh, well, you know, it's a scam. They're not really giving away all that money. Or my kid applied to this scholarship or I applied to that scholarship and now I've got a ton of spam email coming in. That's because you did it wrong. There is a strategy that keeps you out of those types of things. So I'll give you one hint right here. If you're going to go through a database and the, the best one is FastWeb, F-A-S-T-W-E-B, fastweb.com. That is the largest and oldest scholarship database in the US. The companies awarding these scholarships pay FastWeb to be listed on their database. So it's free for the students to search. However, because the companies are paying to get noticed, FastWeb will email you daily, multiple times, enough that will make your head spin. So you do not want to use your real, regular, daily used email address. You want to create a special email strictly for the purpose of joining these databases. 
The only time you use it is to log into the database to hunt for scholarships. You never go to that inbox. You never go to that inbox. It doesn't matter because you want to search for scholarships on your time. You want to make sure that you're searching for the ones that apply to you, whereas the database being hired by the companies, their job is to inundate you with new scholarships you might qualify for and you might get 20 a day. Believe me, you don't want to see that. Just go to the database when it's important to you. Now, you're not going to use that email for anything else other than logging in. That's it. Because when you actually apply to a scholarship, you'll use your real professional email, just like you would for anything else. The other thing to note is do not apply to sweepstakes drawings. Many of them are labeled as scholarships, and it's probably going to be the first oh, I don't know, 10 or 20 on any of these databases because they're paying them big bucks to get noticed. They give $1,000 a month, every month. And yes, somebody is winning those scholarships every single month. But in order to give away that kind of money all the time, every month, every year, for decades, they're selling your email. Do not apply to sweepstakes drawings. Those are for lazy students is what I say. Those who don't want to write an essay. And they're going to have way more, just tens of thousands, if not 100,000 applications every month. It's just not worth it. Don't bother with sweepstakes drawings. Now, I, I don't tell my clients to, to not do it, but I explain what this means when you do. And maybe the best strategy there is to get yet another free email like from Gmail and only use it for those types of sweepstakes drawings and then totally ignore it after you're mm -hmm. out of college. Well, you know, that, that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, okay, so, you know, I'd have one called Jesse Mogul scholarships at gmail.com, Jesse Mogul sweepstakes at gmail.com. And yeah, you know, for those of y'all who are listening to this, I mean, that's genius. I've got one called, you know, that I use. Um, I won't blast it out on my podcast, but I use it when it, I call it my spam email address. So anytime a random website wants my email address and this is the one that they're going to get. And I hardly ever go to that one at all. And, and, you know, sometimes I just do it to just see the insanity of I, what I've signed up for. And you go on there and you're like, oh my gosh, I just, it del I'll delete everything at one fail swoop and go back two months later. And it's got like 87,000 emails. So yes, I agree with Denise, everyone. Yeah, if you're going to do this, start up, you know, one for the logins. For, and then you're right. When it's going to ask on the application for an email, that one's the one they're not selling. That's the one that they're using. It's legitimate. They can't sell that one. There's there's rules. Um, so certainly for those of y'all who are thinking, it's like, yeah, come up. You should, In fact, you guys should all have a spam email address anyways, just as a complete sidebar to this. So now we've talked about database, fastweb.com. There's going to be some others out there. So people, they start going through this process. They're like, okay, there are going to be scholarships out there for me. There's going to be a way for me to figure this out. You know, already some of the things that you had said, you could talk to your high school guidance counselor, but you might be limited to what they know. So you're going to have to do your own legwork. You might go to the local library, ask them on the college campus. You go to the success center. Again, they might be limited to what they know. You go to your uh, student advisor. Again, there could be potential limitations there. Talk to, uh, I don't know, perhaps the dean or somebody within the dean's office at your particular college. Mine was Weimer Hall for College of Journalism. I'm sure they would know things about scholarships. So now you're starting to get some answers and they're those people are probably going to send you to some websites and you're going to get, you're going to be able to start actually growing your search pattern. One of the things you talk about, especially when I look over your pre-interview sheet was how, um, you know, you have a quote on here. I want you to dive into if you Tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it'll be believed by Walter Langer. And you talk about how there's a lot of myths, lies, and deceptions, um, almost like the campaign promise when it comes to college. Is this in, is your thought process around this? Is this on the the lies and misconceptions told around scholarships and the money available? Or is it, you know, how was it your, what does that mean to you when you say those things? Well, Jesse, I think the the most important thing to understand is that we have beliefs that have been ingrained in us as a society for decades. And it's these beliefs that are keeping our kids in debt. I'll give you just a, a couple of those examples. And we mentioned one earlier. 
I have to be a genius in order to win scholarships. I was on a stage just before COVID when, you know, we could still fly. <laughs> and I walked off this stage after explaining, you know, what we had gone through and my kids' success. And a mom came up to me and said, your kids must be geniuses because my kid applied to 40 scholarships and won none. Jesse, it, it, it broke my heart because what I had failed to mention on that stage is that half of the scholarships my kids won, literally $100,000 worth, did not even ask for GPA or test scores. But the reason that her child did not win any scholarships is either she applied to the wrong scholarships, could have been a lot of sweepstakes in there or ones that didn't really apply to her, or she didn't know how to win them. There's a strategy for both. So just in the level of applying for scholarships and getting kids to apply, I've, I've talked to people who run organizations that give thousands of dollars in their local community for scholarships, and they have to beg the students at the high schools to apply because we have this perception, I'm not good enough. I'm average. No one is so average. What? And no one, I mean, in this, I just remember how many people in my, you know, I went to my, my last high school. I had, I had to go to two. My, it was, it was a bit in the country or at least it was, it was one in the city of Columbus, but it definitely was fed by all the country towns. And a lot of those people were, you know, just assumed that the factory life was where they were going to go. And I just remember thinking, you know, like, I don't remember why I thought I was supposed to be going to college. Yes, my parents talked about it, but it just sort of was assumed you're going to college. And I had a crappy SAT score, showed up, you know, to that hungover, didn't study for it, just winged it and um, didn't put a lot of effort into getting into college at all, honestly. But I still got accepted into four or five out of the 20 I put in for and didn't put in for any scholarships, didn't even try. And now you're telling me that there's probably places in my own town. I mean, maybe you could check with, uh, you know, with the local, um, you know, what are those people who wear the funny hats, the older places? It's, you know, oh, the, Shriners. About the Shriners, like they, they could have them. Like you got, if you put in the legwork, you can find some, but something you said that triggered the next question is you said there's a strategy for it. Um, I know obviously you run a whole business helping people understand the strategy, but what are some cues in to what strategy people could start using right now? They, this podcast is done they get on the internet they're like this is the strategy Denise said I should employ what is a strategy that they could be going what are some tips on that one well first let's start with I don't care how old your kids your siblings are you're never too young to start this process college scholarships begin in kindergarten and go all the way through middle school and through high school and then they go even through grad school and professional schools. So no matter where you are, there are scholarships out there that are available. When I say start local, and I do mean local, yes, your high school counselor probably knows of some scholarships available, and they're probably on your high school's website. What about other high schools in the area? Private schools, maybe, versus public schools, or even the school district may have a list of scholarships or scholarship databases. How they come upon these is because they have kids in their school who have won these scholarships, and now they know to list them. That's how they end up on that list usually anyway. So starting early is key. Do not believe everything you hear. Do not believe everything you've been told your whole life about this process. Anyone can win. So let's start there. But in addition, high school counselors tend to tell kids and parents, wait till junior year for that. I heard it from my best friend. I started researching this when my kids were not even freshmen in high school. Oh, you're starting way too early, Denise. Wait till junior year for this. Wait till junior year to explore colleges, to take the ACT and SAT, just to apply for scholarships, everything. But the truth is the kids that are getting debt-free college, they didn't wait. They started early. Some of them started taking the ACT or SAT exams as early as the seventh grade. Not for the score, mind you, but to get used to the exam and the exam environment. This doesn't change. 
So by the time they do have the content, say middle junior year, or even early junior year, it's old hat. It's easy peasy because they've been there, done this a bazillion times. Another thing to note is that there are plenty of ways to fill that college kitty. Yes, scholarships are one. Jobs are another. But what about working for yourself? Thinking outside the box, you might get a J-O-B from someone else and be an employee. But what do you do well that someone else would pay for? One of my college students, I love this one, had gotten a 4.0 in organic chemistry. Now, anybody who is in STEM or has ever heard about organic chemistry knows it is a killer, the killer chemistry course. It's, it's the weed out, right? I mean, you're going to lose half the students at least. However, this student aced it and he had great handwriting. He sold copies of his notes for $65 each. It was a steal to other students who wanted to do well because he didn't just write in his notebook. He had underlined and highlighted things that were important that he studied even further. Maybe, maybe you play the guitar really well. You know, there's other students on campus that might want to learn. I love, where you, you do? I love where you're going with this because I feel like the social media world, you know, this again, I mean, I was started in 90s and by the time I graduated in 06, Facebook was finally becoming a thing, still needed a college address to get, a, to get an account with them back then. And now, you know, I mean, you get, you see these social media kids and they're the Instagram influencers and all that jazz. And I think it's extremely important that somebody steps out and says, what is it I do well? What are some things that I could turn into my own little side business. Um, do you like to clean? You could literally go clean, you know, a kitchen, go clean a business. You could go, hell, I don't know, go clean other college people's houses. It might be miserable, but I like where you're going about thinking outside the box. And this goes to directly to something we talked about when we were first meeting each other. I want to spend the last 15 or so minutes of this talking about what somebody does as they exodus from college, perhaps in debt. Maybe they listen to you, right? Maybe they went to Fast Web. Maybe they started to talk to some people. They started looking into scholarships. And then, they okay, so there's still going to be some level. Let's just assume some level of debt for most people. Now they go off and they're starting to look for a job. And this is where you, I remember you saying like, it is extremely important that you're writing down all of these fundamental skills you have picked up along the way. For me, I'd say growth mindset and being disciplined. You can put that on a resume somewhere, if nothing else, by showing people how you taught someone who didn't know the guitar, how to play the guitar. That takes a lot of patience and discipline. So when you start to think about the transition, right, we've talked about it from middle school and high school into college, as far as the financial aspect of it, which will go a long way to helping with mental health. Now that, you know, and now we've traverse them through the process. They've gotten some scholarships. They're starting to, you know, and I almost feel like you're getting ready to say it's never too early to start looking for a job post-college either. Freshman year of college, start figuring that out. What is it that they should start thinking about when they want to put together their resume? Because Indeed and Monster and all these other ones, it, it, it's complex. There's a lot of steps to follow. It's not like put in an application and have a job the next day. Exactly. And Jesse, one of the things that I think uh, teens and college students need to understand is that it is important for your postgraduate job to have internships while you're in college related, specifically related to whatever that uh, college major or job might be. What I didn't know is that even freshmen can get a summer internship. I thought you had to wait, but there are companies out there that would be happy to start you off even as early as freshman year. So looking into that does require a resume. Now we talked earlier about myths and things that we believe. Just like going to your family physician, he doesn't know everything. If you're ill, you're going to have to do some of your own research as well because his information could be old. When was the last time he went to medical school and what was taught in medical school, right? Same is true for looking for internships today and the college resume. What the people in your career center know is probably old news. 
there's a really good chance they do not have HR personnel or recruiters on staff. And they're giving out old information, outdated information. Today, more than 60% of employers use what's called an applicant tracking system to screen applications and resumes. It has to go through a computer before it gets to human hands. So the only way to make this work is to know how to get past the ATS system. Another thing that I've learned that these well-meaning college and career people will do is that they expect your resume to only have college dated items on it. Now that sounds good, but it's false. Here's why. Yes, when it comes to applicable experiences, working for a particular company, doing a particular skill, it makes sense that it would need to be your college level timing. But employers are also looking for soft skills. Job applications, job descriptions will say communication skills. It may say, it may be specific, it might say written and verbal. Well, you're busy in college. College students don't have time to go get all this extra experience. They're working their butts off. But what did you do in high school that might count for that communication experience? One of the things that it might be, and it could still be something you could do during college if you have something like this available. If you spoke to an organization, maybe even your church, Perhaps you read the announcements on Sunday morning or did the readings. That's communication. That's spoke to groups of 200 or more. That's what they're looking for. And Your that's resume. what's going to help them get through the, yeah. and so for those of y'all who are, so ATS system, basically guys, it's just an algorithm looking for keywords. You already know this is what's happening. It's, it's, it's algorithms. It's, it's what Indeed's going to do. They're going to be able to push out half of them because they don't put communication skills. So it's important that you know, um, and I think we talked about this in the pre-interview about using the verbiage that the, um, that the job posting uses and making sure that that's in there. It has to be exact. Even to the point where the job description says Microsoft Office Excel. Okay. If you just put Microsoft Office, well, a human reading that understands, you understand the entire suite. You've got this. But the algorithm doesn't. You have to put Excel listed specifically on the resume as a skill. Mm. So then you have Microsoft Office Word, you'd have Microsoft Office or Apple or whichever one. So again, see guys, more specificity and somewhere on the application, there's going to be the opportunity for that. But uh, because we talked about myths and lies a minute ago, I've got to ask about this. When I thought about internships when I was in school, um, I was you know poor, broke college student, didn't have any money coming from anywhere else. Uh, it was just whatever I could pull off. I thought internships are going to take me out of work for the summer. They might want to move me to a city. How am I going to afford this stuff? So then you get this, this idea, this myth, this lie that's told that internships are for the wealthy. The internships are for those who are well off. I'm sure you've got a point to make upon this, that that's not true either. But yet, you know, regardless, freshman year, senior year, somewhere out there, you're going to want an internship in this day and age. How, is, how, how do you alleviate some fears people have around the fact that, in, that internships are for those who are already well off? Well, if you think about it, just large companies, large corporations are used to understanding that if we want good people, if we're looking for interns that have the skills, we can't just look locally. And these kids can't afford to quote, move themselves and pay for everything as a regular employee that is getting you know tens of thousands of dollars a year to be able to do. So in a larger corporation, if you're looking for internships there, many times they may not specify too much about what happens when you get hired and where you will live. But many times... They actually have arrangements made for student housing during the summer because colleges and universities nearby, their their dorms are empty. 
So they may have figured out how to rent those dorms for maybe $600 per month for each student. Sure, that's going to take a little pinch out of your paycheck. But remember, the paycheck is one thing, but the experience to be able to add that information to your resume is even more important. So they're, again, thinking outside the box. Find out, you know, when you when you apply to these internships, first, perhaps it's like, look beyond, just apply and see if you get accepted, and then contact them and say, do you have some way of helping me out with room and board or, you know, somewhere? Because it's like, right, if you go to Ball State University and you try to take a scholarship, an internship, I mean, in uh, New York City, right, that's that could be extremely difficult to pull off. But maybe the internship you really could do, looking past the glam of New York City, is actually in Indianapolis. And it's not that hard for you to make that happen. So I would also stress perhaps it's like, look for internships where you won't just be getting coffee, maybe not even going to the big firms and going to the smaller places that actually need you to do real work. Because that's what you're looking for is that real work experience. Yeah. And, you know, reading that job description very carefully or having someone who's been there, done that, an older sibling or a parent who understands what that verbiage means, because I have read some that. I look at it and tell my son, well, that's a pencil pusher job, just so you know. But we need the internship. You've you've still got to have an internship. So even if you're not 100% on board, loving the possibility of working for XYZ company or doing whatever that thing is, sometimes applying is still worth the application. Number one, if you get the interview, that interview is experience and you need that experience as well. Again, there we go, thinking more outside the box. I, I mean, I'm the big proponent for it. Just get me in front of people, you know, give me the opportunity to meet and greet and shake hands and talk about what I do. And they may not ultimately need the services I provide, but it gives me another opportunity to explain what it is that I do to learn other people's needs and just have an awesome connection. So you're saying whether it's the scholarship or the internship, there's an opportunity to get in front of somebody, have an interview, get that experience. Uh, it just, you know, dress up nice and show up and be professional that, that holds merit guys. That's, that's important too. Cause I forget at 46, you know, thousands upon thousands of meetings I've been to wearing nice clothes and, and acting super professional, but uh, you know, a uh, 16 year old or a 22 year old is, you know, probably just, you know, pulling, trying to dust off their, their, their dress shoes and iron their shirt the morning of having never really sat in some of these meetings where important decisions can be made. That's true. And and I will mention, we talked about interviews briefly, but today interviews can be on Zoom or they could be live. They, they could actually fly you to a location to be interviewed, which is really cool, by the way. Make sure you're dressed well, of course. Make sure that you have copies of your resume, at least one or two. Make sure you have reviewed your resume thoroughly. Make sure that you can actually speak to any point that is on your resume, even the part that might say what your hobbies are. Because if something that you've done in your past resonates with one of the interviewers, there's a really good chance that's going to come up. So make sure that you can speak about it in depth and with confidence. But in addition, there are telephone interviews. Now to ace the phone interview is no different than live in person or on Zoom. Dress the part. Be in a quiet room and focus. You won't really understand how, what the difference is by just getting dressed, just dressing the part, putting on that nice shirt and tie or that suit jacket or that skirt, just be there as if you were really there. I do that whenever I do, you know, my connection calls, which some people like to call cold calls, you know, I mean, I, I put on jeans and I put on a shirt and it's like, you know, I'm not just walking around in my jammies, you know, it's like I do my hair and I smile and I put my earbuds in. And I pace back and forth in the office. It gets my body moving. But it, it, I think it's important to, you know, look at myself in this mirror. It's right next to my desk and see myself looking professional. It's There is a shift in your physiology and your body language when you dress in nice clothes versus in your jam jams. And I think a lot of us got a little too comfortable wearing jam jams all the time during COVID. <laughs> you are so right. <laughs> 
So we've talked about scholarships and we've talked about how you think outside the box, use keywords. I mean, for a lot of y'all out there, look, there's going to be YouTube videos galore about this stuff. And you can certainly go out there and spend the next hundred hours trying to figure this stuff out. And then the same thing with, uh, with your internships. And I'm sure that there's going to be information galore about how to do that and how to make it right. And again, what you said, it's like when you go to these success centers, when you go to your high school guidance counselor, when you go to your, your student, uh, your, your student counselor in college, you are limited based on what they know. And are they putting in as much effort around your certain, uh, your demographic or your major? You don't know. So you're going to have to put a lot of effort in on it yourself. But you yourself, Denise, you offer your own tools, right? That, that helps people, you know, college debt doesn't have to be a debt sentence. And so I love that saying. Um, you actually have figured out some ways that you can help people with scholarships and stuff. Because again, Google is awesome. We are in the information age. I also call it the over-information age. You can overwhelm yourself by simply typing in college scholarships for minorities in Pennsylvania. And the next thing you know, you've got 14 million things. So uh, what are some of the tools you have put together for your business, for what you help people through that can help um, underwhelm someone, right? Rather than be overwhelmed, they can just be like, oh, I can breathe. This isn't that complicated. Absolutely. Well, first of all, stay off of social media because the people there are just reiterating what they've, quote, heard someone else say. I even have a client whose daughter, well, they have a, there's a cousin, another, another young lady, the mom's sister and brother-in-law are brilliant doctors, lawyers, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. And so their daughter is brilliant as well. Well, their daughter told my client's daughter don't bother applying for scholarships. I didn't win any, so neither will you. What you find on social media is that misery loves company, but they're so wrong. So what I offer is a program for parents of high school students, and I have a program for college students and beyond. They're separate programs, but they are also very inclusive of each other. The one for high school really starts as early as middle school. And it's a it's a one family thing. It's literally one tool that covers everything that I learned over the years. It's everything that we put into place for both of my kids. And it just plain works. It's cracking the code to free college. And then we have the college edition of cracking the code to free college. It covers scholarships additional money to fill that college kitty, as well as resumes that beat the ATS system and the federal resume. There are two very different things, different strategies, different, um, uh, different the way they, they're set up, but they can really have some serious impact if you do it right. And that's the key. It's, you know, this is what I tell people all the time. You can go online, you can find anything you want, but then you have to sift through thousands of people who have all said that they figured it out. And ultimately, are they just Googling their topic, going and grabbing 10 blog posts, and then just putting all that together and calling it their own? And you have already gone through, you've done the legwork, you've given... Uh, people a very succinct way of following a particular system and saying, look, this has worked for hundreds of thousands of people already. Try this because I'll tell you what, it can be very discouraging my, watching my girlfriend try to get a new job on Indeed, uh, watching some of my friends' kids going through the scholarship process. Uh, you know, it, it's to the point where they're like, you know, we're just you know, their grades are a 2.5 and, you know, it's just some white kid from Indianapolis. What am I going to get? And I'm just like, I, I just heard like seven limiting statements in that one brief moment. You said things about your kids. So why don't you just try and you've created a, a system and a path for people. Um, I'm going to put everything about how to reach you in the show notes, but just so that people can hear your own voice. Is there a, a way that they can get a hold of you? They can get this. Uh, I think you have a checklist, the 12 scholarship secrets. Um, how can somebody get a hold that so they can get a taste of what it is you provide. It's really easy, Jesse. The 12 scholarship secrets are tips from scholarship judges. These are things that they have found that, well, to be honest, if you don't do these things, we'll get your scholarship or college applications thrown in file 13 immediately. So some of it seems like um, I would call common sense, but obviously common sense isn't that common anymore. 
So use the checklist before you hit submit on any scholarship application. You can find it on my website, getaheadoftheclass.com. It's right there on the front page. And there's a contact. You can also just reach me in a way uh, throughout the list on Jesse's podcast, as well as through the website, getaheadoftheclass.com. Brilliant. We'll put that in the show notes for those of y'all. So whether you're a parent, and again, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I understand that I've got like 117 nations who listen to this show. Y'all, you 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 have some mechanism to, for help to get you into school, especially if you're in a country that really pushes STEM or creative arts. Arts. Like there are going to be scholarships, there are going to be internships, there are going to be opportunities for you. If you expect somebody to knock on your door and hand you a suitcase full of cash, as someone who once hoped that that was going to happen, I can assure you it doesn't. You will have to put in some effort. You'll well, you'll want to think outside the box. Denise has provided you with multiple different tips. Go back and listen, take some notes. I hope that's what you do, anyways, because you know I bring you cool, actionable material here. Uh, Denise, I'll get you out of here on this. My favorite question to ask uh, all my podcast guests is you got a microphone and it can get to every single ear on the planet. What is the message you would want them to hear from you today? The most important message is start early. The earlier you start, the more opportunities there are. And don't believe everything you read. Beautiful. Start early. Don't believe everything you read. You could have sound like a financial advisor. He's at 46. I don't have a retirement account. Start up, Nick. You should have started when you were 26. I'm like, well, I didn't. So what do I do now? And what do you do now? Don't believe everything you read, folks. All right. Do your own legwork. Go out there. Find your own answers. I can assure you there is an opportunity out there. You just have to go dig for it. There's a cartoon that comes to mind where these two people are digging a, a tunnel and one there's a diamond at the end and one stops and turns around right as he's getting ready to hit the diamond and the other one's still chucking away. Um, and I think the, the caption is, you know, you never know how close you are to success. Um, and I think that's something I want all of you to take away from this is you never know how close you are to success. You just got to keep pickaxing that dirt because you just don't know if the next time you're going to hit that diamond. So I thank you, Denise, for providing everyone with so many different opportunities for where they can take this um, and for providing the 12 scholarship secrets. Uh, I'll put guys, I'll put codes or um, access to all of this in the show notes. Denise is going to provide that for me. So if you have any other questions for her, feel free to find her via the notes and her website one more time it's it's get it i don't remember it get ahead what get ahead of the class get ahead of the class i don't we all gosh i swear i wish i had somebody like you in my ear when i was 18 maybe i would have thought budweiser was my best <laughs> study buddy get ahead of the class.com my friends all right thank you so much for being on the show it means a great deal that you come and share your knowledge with my listeners thanks for having me jesse Brilliant, my friends. All right. That's the end of our show. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. As always, please, it's been an honor to have you. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.